Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. So welcome once again to our short study uh, in relevant cultural topics. And um, those of you that have been with us know that uh, we spent two weeks talking about truth. Then we covered abortion. We spent three weeks on race. And last week we talked about gender. And tonight, as you can see, we are going to talk about uh, sexuality. Now, I want to begin tonight <clears throat> excuse me, by reading a scripture. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.32 says this, Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Now, what does Paul mean by that? We all know that the, God, the Bible tells us that the gospel itself is offensive. Right? I actually preached on this uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, Paul says, for example, the message of the cross is offensive. He tells us that in the book of Galatians. Uh, Jesus in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is called a rock of offense. And then, of course, Jesus himself said, uh, I believe in Matthew's gospel, blessed are those who are not offended by me. So truth, the gospel message, the message of the cross, the message of Jesus is going to offend people. There is nothing you can do about that. Okay, that's completely out of your control. I think what Paul is saying is here is when you interact with people, for example, let's say you go out and you witness to somebody outside the church. You can't control how they react to the truth. You can control how they react to you. Right. Don't be offensive. In other words, Paul says in Ephesians 425, I believe, speak the truth in love. You can tell people the truth, but you don't have to be offensive while you're doing it. And I think that's what he means. But I want you to notice, it doesn't just say to the Jews and Greeks outside the church. He says, don't be offensive to people in the church. And I take that as a teacher to mean that when I get up to teach, I need to speak the truth, but I need to try to do it in a way that's not offensive to people. And sometimes that's challenging, right? Let me give you an example. A few weeks ago, I sat here and talked about abortion. Now, if statistics are correct, Statistics tells us that one in four women in America have had an abortion. So as I stood up here that night to talk about abortion, I had to assume that there were women in the audience who had had abortions. So you can see the, 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 the pickle that I'm in, right? And on one hand, I have to speak the truth that abortion is wrong. On the other hand, I, want to, I don't want to offend people. I, I want to offer redemption, not condemnation, right? Are, are you with me? So that's the battle as a teacher, when you get up and you teach the truth, the battle is that you don't offend people, right? Now, why do I bring this up? Because I'm really afraid I'm going to lose that battle tonight. I'm really afraid I'm going to lose that battle tonight. Somebody, I read this years ago, it says this, people are offended by truth when they want to believe a lie. People are offended by truth when they want to believe a lie. And you may say, listen, I'm going to speak the truth tonight. I'm not going to make anything up. Everything I'm going to tell you is going to come right out of the Bible. And yet some people may get offended by it because they want to believe a lie. And you may think, well, why would anybody sitting here tonight 
want to believe a lie. <clears throat> well, here's why. I'm going to talk about sexual sin. And one of the things that, that the Bible teaches us, that those who embrace sexual sin, those who celebrate sexual sin, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, notice I didn't say those who sin or those who are sinners. I said those who embrace it. Now, here's the thing. Those people that I'm talking about, they're not people on the other side of the world. They're people in your homes. They're your children. They're your moms and dads, your aunts and uncles, your nieces and nephews. They're, they're people that you love. And I'm going to get up here and say that if they continue the way they're going, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. And people don't want to believe that. Not, not my son, not my uncle. They're, they're different. So I hope offense doesn't come. I wanted to go ahead and get this out of the way up front. I hope you're not offended. But it's worth the risk because too much is at stake. It's worth the risk because there's too much at stake. All right, tonight I'm going to give you four biblical truths about sexuality. Okay? There's more than four, obviously, but I'm going to give you four. We're going to start where we left off last week. It's a good segue between last week's lesson on gender and this week's lesson on sexuality. Again, four biblical truths. This is the first one where we start, and this is, and that is, there are only two genders. Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, now this is, this is describing the act of creation, that God created one man, one woman, Adam and Eve, male and female. Now, literally thousands of years go by. From, from creation to the time that Jesus comes to the earth, thousands of years have gone by. And one day, Jesus is walking along, and the Pharisees ask him a question about marriage. And this is what he says in Matthew 19, 4. He says, have you not read... And by the way, he's talking about Genesis 1 and 2. Have you not read in Genesis that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now, here's what I want you to notice. Thousands of years have gone by, and there is absolutely no progress in genders. There's no evolution. The way it was at the beginning is exactly the way it was when Jesus came. Why? Because you don't need progress when it's perfect. You see, you don't need progress when something is deficient. But see, creation is absolutely perfect. It cannot be improved upon. There, there, there's nothing to approve upon other than the two genders that He created. So you may say to me, well, why are we having all this gender confusion? Well... It turns out Genesis answers that question for us as well. You know, God creates Adam and Eve. He puts them in the garden. He says to them, you can eat anything you want to eat except one tree. Do not eat of that tree because the day you eat of that tree, you're going to die. And so the enemy comes to Eve in the form of a serpent. And he says to her, you're not going to die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. And by the way, that was the selling point to her. I can be like God. I can be, I can be like God. And you see, many in our culture have bought into that same lie. And they have decided that they will be like God. Because you see, if you're like God, you can speak into existence any, existence, any gender you want. If you're like God, you can just determine your own gender for your own self. 
So they've bought into the lie that they can be their own God. Now, last week I said, well, how, what should the church do? How do we, how do we interact with transgender people? And, and one of the things that I said was that our language is very important and that to begin with, we should never affirm any gender that is not consistent with what they were created by God at birth, right? Or we shouldn't affirm any gender that is contrary to God's creation of that person. Now, by the way, not everybody agrees with what I just said. And I'm always open to, to listening to other people. So I ran across this week a guy by the name of Dr. Preston Sprinkle. He is the president of the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. And I want you to listen to what he said. He said this, All Christians can and should use pronouns that reflect the expressed gender identities of transgender people, regardless of our views about gender identity ethics. If a person identifies herself to you as a she, I hope you will consider in an act of Christ-like love to call her she out of respect whether or not you believe that the way she expresses her gender identity is honoring to God. Now, <clears throat> that almost sounds right. When people use that kind of language like Christ-like love and respect, and you think, well, you know, maybe, that's, maybe, maybe he's got a point there. Maybe he's right, but he's not right. He's wrong. In fact, he's incredibly wrong. You see, affirming or accommodating false beliefs can never be loving. Let me give you a couple of examples. Let's say that I meet a Mormon who believes himself to be a Christian. By the way, Mormons are not Christians, and here's the way that you know. If you ever meet a Mormon, ask them one question. That's all you got to do. What must I do to be saved? That's all you got to do. Ask one question. By the way, that was the question the Philippian jailer asked Paul. Does anybody know what Paul said? Believe. On the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll be saved. Ask a Mormon that question and they'll give you a list. They'll give you a list. That's not the gospel of the Bible. That's a false gospel. It's another gospel. They are not Christians. But let's say I meet one and he, he's, he believes himself to be a Christian. So you tell me, should I show Christ-like love? Should I show respect to him by, in our conversation, referring to him as a Christian? See, the answer to that is no. And here's why. Because he cannot be saved if he don't realize he's lost. And how can he realize he's lost if you and I keep calling him a Christian? See, our lies are actually putting a stumbling block in front of him to come to faith in Christ. That's not loving, folks. In fact, that's the furthest thing from love that you could possibly do. I'll give you another example from the Bible. The Pharisees believed themselves to be children of God. Did they not? They believed themselves. They were the chosen ones. They were, they were going to heaven. They were, they were the apple of God's eye. And Jesus never, not once, affirmed that in His conversations with them. In fact, He told them the opposite. And by the way, it offended them to the point that they killed Him. But you see, if he would have affirmed that, to have affirmed that would have sent the message to them that they don't need to believe in him in order to be saved. That would not have been loving. So this is what I said last week. Should we respect transgender people? Absolutely. Should we, uh, should we love them? Absolutely. We shouldn't be offensive. We shouldn't be rude. But we cannot affirm people in rebellion to their creator. 
You just can't do it. You just cannot do it. Now, that leads us to biblical truth number two. This is the, the, the biblical truth number two. Sex is for one man and one woman in marriage. Let's go back and read Genesis 1, 27 and 28. It says, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Now, you're adults. I don't have to tell you what be fruitful and multiply means, right? We all know what that means. Now, this is the last very... I think it's the last verse right at the end of that chapter. This is what it said. And God saw everything that He made. And behold, say it with me. It was very good. And here's what I want you to see. This is before the fall. This is before sin enters in. And by the way, when sin enters the picture, it goes downhill in a hurry. Before you can even get out of Genesis, you've got polygamy in chapter 4, adultery in chapter 16, homosexuality in chapter 19, rape in chapter 34, incest and prostitution in chapter 38. Just that quick when sin came in. But before it came in, what did you have? You had perfection. And what was perfection? One man, one woman, and sex. And God said, it was very good. Now, for those of you that haven't studied Genesis, if you, if you go home tonight and start reading it, you'll notice something kind of odd. Chapter 1 is a creation account, and then you go to chapter 2, and it, it's another creation account. And that can be kind of a fuse, confusing until you understand what's going on. Cre uh, chapter 1 is the big picture. You don't get a lot of details, but you get day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, all the way down to day 6. But when you turn to chapter 2, the, the, the Bible goes back and says, let's, let's go back and look at that creation of man. So chapter 2 is some details about the creation of mankind. Let's read a little further there. Chapter, Genesis 2, 18 to 24. Then the Lord God said... It's not good the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Therefore. Now, what you got to understand what he's doing right here is he's saying, therefore, from now on, he's setting a principle. He's setting a precedent. From now on, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. By the way, this is all before the fall. This is God's perfect design at creation, and that is a sexual relationship in the context of marriage between one man and one woman. And listen to me closely. Everything else is sexual sin. It's real clear. It's not, even, it's not hard to figure out. That's God's plan. Everything outside of that plan is sexual sin. Only a male-to-female sexual relationship has been ordained by God, and only the joining of a male and female constitutes marriage. Now, I'm going to stop right here, and I'm going to talk about homosexuality. And the reason that I'm going to single out homosexuality is because homosexuality is not like other sins. Now, by the way, I'll come back later and tell you why. Okay, I'm gonna, you gotta wait to the end before I can tell this to you, but I'll come back later and explain this. Now, if you've ever been involved in a discussion 
about homosexual in the Bible, homosexuality and the Bible, you've probably heard something like this. Uh, the person will look at you and say, but Jesus never mentioned homosexuality or gay marriage. Never mentioned it. Specific, he never used the word homosexuality. He never used the word gay marriage. Or, or some, they'll say something like this. As a follower of Christ, it seems strange to me that you guys would make such a big deal out of something that Jesus never mentioned not one time. And as a Christian, you're like, well, I hadn't really thought about that, right? And you understand the implication of what they're saying, right? What they're implying is that if Jesus didn't specifically mention it, then how do you really know what he thought about it? How can you really be certain uh, about it if he didn't say anything? Now, usually as Christians, this is what the normal Christian response is. Uh, well... Uh, well, uh, well, uh, I mean, that's kind of where we're at, right? It kind of it catches us off guard. We don't really have an answer. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you five answers, okay? There, there are so many things wrong with that argument. I'm just going to give you five of them, okay? Here's the first one. It's true that Jesus never used the word homosexuality, and he never used the term gay marriage. But it's also true that he never mentioned other sexual sins by name either. For example, if you go back to the Old Testament, and I just listed five of them, you can find the sin of adultery, which is uh, forbidden in Exodus 20. Incest is forbidden in Leviticus 20. Homosexuality is forbidden in Leviticus 20. Bestiality is uh, forbidden in Leviticus 20. And rape is forbidden in Deuteronomy 22. Jesus mentioned one of those, just one. And that was the very top one, which is adultery. He didn't mention either of those other four. So here's my first response. If your argument is that homosexuality is okay because Jesus never said anything about it, well, then guess what? You've got to also say that those other things are okay as well. Anybody want to make that argument? Right? I mean, obviously, those things aren't okay. I don't even like to say them, some of them, to be quite honest with you. I'm going to try not to say them because, you know. But the question remains, was Jesus really silent on the issue? Did he never say anything about homosexuality or gay marriage? Well, let me tell you, that is an absolute myth. And I'm going to explain to you why. So here's the second problem with that argument. Jesus certainly addresses marriage in Matthew uh, 19. In Matthew 19, we read a little bit of it just a minute ago. Uh, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they have a question about um, marriage. And this is what he says to them. He said, have you not read, and again, he's referring to Genesis 1 and 2, that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now what Jesus just did right there is he validated what marriage is. Do you remember a few weeks ago, I told you the Bible never tries to go out and figure out every corruption or perversion that somebody can come up with. What the Bible just says, this is real. This is real. All these other things you come up with are all counterfeits. He doesn't have to look a thousand years in the future and say, well, they're going to come up with some weird... No. 
He just says, this is what marriage is. One man, one woman. Anything else is, is a counterfeit. It's not real. It's a corrupted or a perversion of what God intended. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on. Verse 6, he says, So, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, you see what he just said? What he just said is God is the creator of marriage. God is the author of marriage. Therefore, we don't have the right to define, redefine it. He created it. He defines it. It's not our right to change it. He is being very clear about who, what marriage is and who is the author of marriage. Here's the third issue that's wrong with that argument. And that is that Jesus addresses sexual immorality in Matthew 5. Now, pay attention here because this is really important. In Matthew 5, they come to Jesus and they're asking him about divorce. And actually, that's not true. Jesus is just teaching, uh, doing a teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what he says. He says, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife accepts on the ground of sexual immorality. Now, the Greek word there is pornea. And yes, that is where we get the English word pornography. It comes from that root word. So, so Jesus says there is such a thing called sexual immorality, or in the Greek it's called pornea. Now, I often hear people when they read Scripture, they say things like this. Well, to me that means, and I often say, nobody cares what it means to you. <laughs> I want to know what it meant to him doesn't matter what it means to you. It, what matters is what did he mean when he said it. That's what matters. So what did Jesus mean by the word pornea? What is sexual immorality? Well, that word had a very specific meaning in that day. And what it did, it described all sexual sin which was forbidden in the Old Testament. So prostitution, premarital sex, pedophilia, homosexuality, incest. You, you just go right on down the line. Everything was, was grouped under this one umbrella term called pornea. In fact, let me make it really simple. In the Bible, the Bible draws a circle. And inside that circle, it says sexual relations between a man and woman in the bonds of marriage. Anything outside that circle is pornea. Anything outside that circle is sexual sin. Let me give you two scriptures to back that up. 1 Corinthians 7.2. The Apostle Paul says, But because of the temptation to sexual immorality or pornea, each man should have his own wife and each, husband, each woman should have her own husband. In other words, Paul says, Do you want to avoid sexual sin? Do you want to avoid pornea? Get married. Live inside that circle of marriage and you won't have to worry about anything. But anything outside of that, is sexual sin. Let me give you another one, Hebrews 13, 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. But God is going to judge those that practice pornea. As long as you're in the marriage, it's honorable. He says the marriage bed is undefiled. You get outside of that, it's sexual sin. It's as clear as, it's as simple as it can possibly be. This is the real. This is the true. Everything outside of that is sin. One more, uh, or two more things that we're, again, remember we're talking about the fact that somebody says, well, Jesus never mentioned these things. By the way, those first three arguments are good arguments, but they pale in comparison to this one. 
Guys, we cannot forget that Jesus is a member of the Godhead. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 3 says this, In the beginning was the Word, talking about Jesus, and the Word was with God. And say it with me, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Jesus Himself said this in John ten thirty: I and the Father are one. Now what does that mean? That means that at creation, it was Jesus who was making them male and female. At creation, it was Jesus who was instituting marriage. In fact, look at Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let what? Us. Who is us? It's the Father, it's the Son, and the Spirit. We believe in one God, eternally existing in three distinct persons. They're all there at creation. Jesus is there at creation. Nothing was made without Him. That also means, by the way, that on Mount Sinai, it was Jesus who was giving the laws of Leviticus to Moses. It also means, by the way, that Jesus is at Sodom and Gomorrah, raining down fire and brimstone. Don't ever forget, you, Jesus is not just some character that comes on the scene. He was there. He's eternally existed from the beginning. He is God. He's the God of the Old Testament. He's the God of the New. You cannot separate that. I'll give you one more argument. And that's this one. The Bible is one story, not many. You, you can't separate Jesus from the Father and the Holy Spirit. And you cannot separate Jesus from His apostles. Men like Paul and James and John and Peter. The apostles, by the way, that word means one who is sent. Well, who sent them? Who sent them? Jesus. Whose message are they teaching and preaching? Jesus. That means when you read Romans chapter 1, these aren't the words of Paul. These are the words of Jesus. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God... God gave them up to a debased mind to do not what not ought to be done. That's not the, you can't separate Paul and say, well, that's just Paul. No, Paul is the messenger sent by Jesus with his words. So let's just, if we can, let's dispense with this silly idea that people come up with that somehow Jesus changed anything regarding Old Testament uh, sexual relations or forbidden relations. He did no such thing. He didn't change anything. Truth number three, uh, uh, biblical truth number three about sexual immorality. And that is that sexual sin is a matter of both action and desire. Now, I'm, I hope at this point that it should be clear to everyone here that any type of sexual relationships outside the context of a marriage, and by marriage we meet a man and a woman, is wrong. The Bible is extremely clear about that. And by the way, biblical Christianity has literally taught this for millennia. For thousands of years, this has been biblical Christianity. But yet, we're also taught in that same scripture that sexual sin is not limited just to action. Our desires can be uh, sinful as well. Listen to Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. 
He said this, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. That was uh, Exodus 20, the Old Testament. But I say to you, that everyone who even looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Folks, listen, Jesus did, never came to lower the bar. Jesus came to raise the bar. You read Jesus and you just fall on your knees and say, I need a Savior. I don't care how, how moral you are on the outside. Everybody's failed on the inside. Every single one of us has failed to meet the ideal that our Creator has set for us. We are all guilty of sexual sins. If it's not on the outside, it's on the inside. We all need a Savior. Colossians 3, 5, and 6, Paul says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. It's not just about the outside. What's in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. Covetousness. By the way, covetousness is a, it's all on the inside. It's wanting something that somebody else has. Just the desire, the, the apostle says, is idolatry. And on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, why do I bring this up? Here's why. There are those in churches today that are arguing that a person can be what they call same-sex attracted and not be sinful. In other words, you can have these desires, but as long as you don't act on them, you're okay. Okay? In other words, the desire is wrong, but the, not, the desire is not wrong, only the action is. Now, here, that may sound persuasive to a lot of people. And by the way, it does persuade a lot of people, but that's not what Jesus said. That is not what Jesus said. He looks at the heart. He's just as interested in what you're, what you're thinking and wanting and desiring on the inside as what you're doing on the outside. Number four, and man, I love this one. God transforms those whom He saves. God transforms those whom He saves. I want to read this to you, 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. through Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous... Now, here's what I was talking about earlier, right? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And here it is. And such were some of you. Not, by the way, and such are some of you. He says... You were those things, but not anymore. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Listen, I, I don't know a lot about things like conversion therapy or, or, or I hear people use the term pray the gay away and all that stuff. Listen, I'll tell you this. You can't counsel that away. You can't lay hands on that and pray that away. But here's what will change a person. And Pastor Henry said it this past Sunday. Becoming a Christian is not about walking down an aisle. It's not about signing a card or, 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 or coming to church every Sunday or, or giving your, your tithes or any of those things. Becoming a Christian is, is an experience that is so radical that the only way the Bible knows to refer to it is you are being born again. Born again. Born again. 
You are a new person. The old person experienced those things, but not the new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it this way, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I, listen, I don't, I don't want to be able to ever have to look in somebody and say, Look, man, I don't know what I can do for you. You're just going to have to button down and just, just fight this thing as hard as you can. No, I want a God that transforms people. Thank God He does. He can change anybody from who they were to something beautiful. Now, I want to close with this. I promised you a while ago, I talked about homosexuality. I picked it out and I focused on it. And I said I was going to do it because homosexuality is not like other sins. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I hear this a lot. Uh, you'll hear people say, why do you Christians make such a big deal out of one sin? Why do you make such a big deal out of one sin? It's no different than those other sins. In fact, if they were here tonight, they may look at this, these verses right here. Let me read that again. And I want you to listen to the list. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And people say, look, see what you did? You picked that one thing out of that whole list... And you made a big deal out of it. Why do y'all do that? What's, what's wrong with y'all? It's a sin like any other sin. It's no different. Now, let me say this. To be sure, there are tons of people out there who are idolaters. In fact, innumerable amounts of people. There's a lot of people out there committing adultery. A lot of people out there stealing. A lot of people getting wasted. A lot of people being greedy. A lot of people reviling and cheating other people. And by the way, God is going to judge all of those sins the same. But listen to me. As far as I know, they're not holding parades to celebrate those other sins. See, in our society, adultery is still wrong. There's a ton of people doing it. Don't get me wrong. But nobody's holding parades. For adulterers, come on, you adulterers, get on a float. <laughs> flaunt, you know, flaunt your adultery. Who's going to do that? Right? There's a lot of greedy people out there, but listen, nobody thinks greed's a good thing, do they? Is it still wrong to steal? Is anybody pushing an agenda for everybody to get drunk? Is there a drunk? No. We all know there's a lot of people getting drunk. But as a society and as a culture, we look at those things and we say they're wrong. See, folks, it's not Christians who are making a big deal out of adultery. It's the culture. It's not us. It's the culture. See, this is why homosexuality is different from any other sin, because it's celebrated. It's seen as a good thing. Nobody sees adultery as a good thing. Nobody sees drunkenness as a good thing or stealing or cheating people or, or any of those things. But for some reason, we see this sin and we celebrate it. And we see it as a sign of, of, of progress. Now listen to me. As Christians, I said this up front, I'm going to say it one more time. We believe, I hope you do, with the deepest sincerity that the embracing of sin will keep people out of the kingdom of God. 
Not being sinners, right? We all know that, right? There's forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. But if you embrace sin, if you practice sin as part of your daily lifestyle, if you celebrate sin, you are not going to enter the kingdom of God. And you see, as Christians, folks, we have to speak out because the stakes are too high. We have to speak out because the stakes are too far. In fact, we have to say what nobody else seems to be willing to say. Nobody else will say it. People are marching to hell and they're, the people on the side streets are clapping as they go. Applauding them. Who's going to warn them? Who's going to say the things that nobody else will say? See, the problem in our culture is... When it comes to homosexuality, we seem to have drawn a line. And you're either on one side or the other. You either support it or, or you're a hater. You, you love them or you're a bigot. You, you, you're a tolerant person or you're just completely intolerant. You, you respect them or you're homophobic, right? These are really the two sides. But see, Christians are not on either one of those sides. Christians have something to say that nobody else will say. And that is, you're wrong, but you're loved. You're wrong, but I still love you. I don't hate you. See, nobody else is saying those things. If not us, then who? If not you and your family for that loved one, then who? I encourage you again tonight, choose truth. Choose truth. I hope, listen, I want to say this one more time. I know there is no doubt in my mind that there, there are people here tonight that have this situation in their families. Some of you, it may be your children who you love dearly. It may be brothers and sisters. It may be aunts and uncles. It's, it's people that you love and respect and, and, and maybe even look up to. And it, and it hurts. I get it. It absolutely hurts to hear this spoken. But that doesn't change the fact that it's the truth. It's the truth. And if not us, then who? Let's pray. Father, Lord, I love you. I love your word. I love you. Uh, just everything. What? I can't even put into words how great you are. And God, I just ask once again for boldness in this church. I, I, I pray for courage in this church. I pray for, they don't have to stop loving. Nobody's asking anybody to stop loving. We just need courage to speak the truth. Will somebody, will somebody speak truth into that person's life? God, if there's somebody here right now, and that's... It, it, Lord, you know, you know the hearts. If there's somebody here and they know, they know they need to be bold. God, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, do what you did on the day of Pentecost. Fill them with Holy Spirit boldness. Let them speak your words, God. Let them say the things that nobody else will say. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Hey, before we go tonight, I want to say one more thing. I want to give you some advice. Um... As I look out, I see uh, younger children, and I, I kind of struggled tonight because I used some words. They weren't, they weren't bad words, but I probably used some words that, that children may not understand. Are you with me? Um, so if this happens, 
if a child comes up to you and says, Daddy, what does this word mean? I want to give you some advice. I heard a guy say years ago, his daughter came home from school one day, and she said, Daddy, what does this word mean? And she asked him what the word means she'd heard at school. And her daddy said she was not old enough to have that discussion. Just, she was not ready to hear what that word meant. So this is what he said. He said, honey, he said, do you know how when we go on a trip that mom and daddy carry the, the big heavy suitcases and, and you carry that little, you know, that little roll-on the little kids have? He said, you know how you carry that? And, and she says, yeah. And he said, why, why do you think we're carrying the big ones and you're carrying the small one? And she said, because I'm not old enough yet. I'm not big enough to carry the big ones. And this is what he said to her. And I thought this was so wise. Well, he says, honey, this word is just like that. You're not big enough to carry this word. Let mom and dad carry this word for a while. And when you get big enough, then you can carry it. And she said, okay, (laughs) which kids normally do. So you don't have to lie. You don't have to deflect. Just say, Use wisdom and just say, you're, you're not old enough, and when the time comes, you, you can carry that word. And trust me, they'll be perfectly fine with that. Thank you for being so attentive. It's not easy. It's not an easy subject, right? Um, I don't know if it'll even make it to YouTube. They might pull it right off. I, I, don't, I have no clue. But thank you for being attentive. If you've got any questions, I would be more than happy to sit down and talk to you and answer those as best I can from Scripture Uh, what Scripture says about um, different things. Uh, But until then, you are dismissed. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcofferville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us at RLL Crawfordville for more information and directions.